0: Thank you for listening to our show today and also thanking those listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Joining me on my show today is a special guest, is Ernie Robertson, who is a noted historian and also the Cattle Parish Register of Voters, to discuss some memories of the past and of the mid 1990s in the Shreveport area. Thank you, Ernie, for joining us today here on the nice Best of here Times be here. Radio Hour. So, one of my uh, loyal listeners and readers of the Best of Times saw it, saw you promoted in our magazine and and said Gary I want you to ask him this question because I don't think I've heard him answer this question why is Ernie so interested in Shreveport memorabilia and Shreveport past history
1: well, it starts uh, really a couple of reasons why and a couple of things that happened to me along the way. Uh, number one was uh, my mother. My mother was a librarian, but uh, during World War II, uh, she uh, was a teacher in Duboc, Louisiana. and Duboc. She, Yeah. Uh, yeah Duboc I know where Duboc is, It's is. a big town. I know exactly where Duboc Been there, done that. <laughs> and she uh, uh, sent out a uh, World War II newsletter. I think it was called Ward 4 News. And uh, it went to all the boys from uh, that area and uh, through the years i'd heard from them uh you know saying how much it meant to them and i found a big box of uh uh, different items from world war ii when i was a little kid at our house and and whenever she started telling me what all was in there i thought boy this is fascinating to me as a little kid Mm -hmm. and so through the years uh, i continued to have that interest uh harriet turner was my uh, world history teacher in uh, high school.
0: And you she, remember your world history teacher. Oh, yeah. and I'm impressed. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> mine, I'm sorry to say. I remember my math teacher. teacher, my science teachers, but not my history teacher. Well, it
1: just shows you how much influence she had on me and, uh, and so I, I kind of continued with my interest and then a guy called me, gosh back in the 70's and said he had a picture of uh, Huey Long. And would I be interested? I don't know how he had heard about it. He said, would I be interested in taking a look at maybe buying it from him? Mm -hmm. It's still in my office. Uh, It was actually a memorial picture whenever uh, Long was uh, assassinated. And uh, there was a gentleman named Lafargue who was running for district attorney in Caddo. And he put a stamp, kind of like an address stamp, uh, on the side uh, saying Lafargue for district attorney. And it was in a frame. And the old gentleman told me he had had it since uh, it was given to him back in 35 or so. And I said, well, yeah, I'd like to buy it. And that was really the first thing I ever bought uh, back in the 70s.
0: Wow. And it started from then?
1: It started from there.
0: And then also, I, I'm, hopefully our listeners remember the uh, the two exhibit years we had, Remembering Shreveport, and you were heavily involved in that particular event, and so was I. Fantastically successful event that a lot of people loaned items that were totally remarkable, right? They really were.
1: Uh, I saw some things there I never thought I'd see uh, related to streetcars and, of course, that uh, great uh, early... Uh, uh, film that was converted to video uh, showing some uh, early Street Force shots and, uh, and as well as the train shot going through the flood. And uh, there were a lot of things there that really piece in some uh, kind of missing parts of Street Force history. And of course, I'm more interested in kind of the common man history and the everyday person history than I am, you know, all the grand events uh, as far as uh, politics and all that goes. because because a lot of times uh, the most interesting part is what was going on with the everyday guy. They're right. How was he getting along?
0: And some of these individual ladies and gentlemen had had, had have had these items stored in their attic for. 50s, yes. 60s, hundreds of years, and they, they finally brought them down, and it was like, I mean, I love this. When I saw the T-Service set from the Washington Urie, that was like, wow, and it had the room number imprinted in, in, in on it, and, and then the, uh, the, the the radio that was a paid radio, and, and the, mm-hmm. either the Uri or Washington Urie, one of them, that you had to put a quarter in there, right?
1: That was it, and, uh, and that actually, uh, since I mentioned postcards, on the back of a postcard, you'll often find that will state that if you come and stay in this motel, they have free radios. And so you don't have to pay the the nickel or dime or whatever it was. And uh, that's another way that I wound up being interested in Shreveport history was uh, through postcards because you pick up so many uh, little pieces of history on postcards. And then because of that, I sold a few to Eric Brock and we became friends. And uh, Gary Joyner and I knew each other. And so it wound up being the three of us were always swapping some story that one of the other of us had found in researching and that kind of helped uh, keep my interest going.
0: The Three Amigos in History. Okay. <laughs> That's true. Well, I'm honored that you uh, have joined us today on the show. And right. So, let's start a little bit about the, the, the turn of the century, the 1900s. So, uh, uh, we talk about, we had some ideas. First of all, beer breweries were, were pretty famous right. back then.
1: We, uh, Adolphus Bush actually had uh, an office here and had a brewery here and, uh it was a big uh, operation. Uh, one part of it is still here. Uh, the other part of it, a piece of it, is here. And um, one of it was uh, one of them was down across Bayou, and then the other part of it was over at Linwood, at Texas. There's a big building over there. that was part of his beer operation. And uh, there were other breweries in this area. Uh, I've been I've read the number of eight. I know for a fact of at least four. And then there was also home brewing, Gary. Uh, people were home brewing beer. Was that uh, legal? Uh, I guess so. I don't really know at that point, but it didn't by 1908, because in 1908, one of the pivotal events in Force history takes place because uh, we voted in Prohibition in 1908.
0: But oh, wait a second. Why so early? Uh,
1: well, that's a good question, but I can tell you that, uh, you know, the progressive movement was going along at that time, and Shreveport's interpretation of that uh, via a lot of the, uh, uh, the church groups was that we did not need to have uh, so many places selling alcohol. Instead of regulating those places like they had done with the Red Light District, with the Vice District, There were 75 locations, by the way, in 64 square blocks of the original Shreveport that sold alcohol one way or the other, either package form or actually a saloon. And so, uh, and there were problems relating to that, so uh, there was a big. I would say brouhaha, about we're going to have an election. And it was kind of clever how they went about it because uh, the rural area of Cattle Parish had already voted for prohibition, all the rural wards. And so they went to the police jury, not the city council. They went to the police jury, the parish government, and the people had a petition. And they said, we want to have a parish-wide ordinance prohibiting. So they also got the city prohibiting it because it's part of the parish because it's part of the parish so instead of just Having a city vote, all the parish people got to vote on it. And they were already opposed to it. They'd already voted it in. Sure enough, the vote out there was much heavier than it was in the city. And plus, uh, the way uh, you got to be a registered voter in those days uh, was a little bit different, to say the least, than what we have now. And so people could be challenged at the poll, even though they're like they're challenged now. Uh, but the people who got to pick the commissioners were the police jurors of that day and time who had voted to call the election. So uh, it was kind of an unusual way to do an election, and the election winds up uh, that Shreveport and Cattle Parish. uh, Votes for prohibition. It's uh, appealed. Uh, It It was appealed. It was appealed. It stands. The records of that are still in the clerk's office. And uh, we wind up uh, now uh, losing business. Of course, Adolphus Bush winds up eventually closing up here. And uh, this wasn't unusual for the South because there were a lot of uh, anti-alcohol votes going on, but I have not found another place that had a major brewing operation in it that voted in Prohibition that early. And so what we wind up with uh, is we wind up then with rulings and we get near beer, I guess which is like 2% beer. Oh, near
0: beer. Oh, Near okay. beer, and then they had all kind of problems with near beer. So, wow. What So the pivotal date was 1908. 1908,
1: and that really, uh, I believe, uh, starts a national buzz that Shreveport's going to have problems with because uh, uh, the uh, entire prohibition movement gets kind of lobbed in with progressivism and William Jennings Bryan who uh, came to Shreveport was of course a uh, prohibitionist and so you wind up with that and we wind up voting it in na- uh, nationally more or less uh, through Congress and so that doesn't work well as we all know it gets repealed and leads to uh, the rise in... Uh, but
0: initially it was passed by Cong- by, by both Congress and Senate and and ratified by how many states? By quite a few uh, number of states. Quite a law of law. states uh, and then it got
1: repealed many years. Then it got repealed on down the road in the 30s. And, uh, and the real situation for Shreveport was that the reason Bush ever came here in the first place was because of railroads because we were oh, in the up. middle. We were a railroad hub, kind of like we've always wanted to be uh, whenever it came to uh, airline uh, flights, and we were a hub because uh, you wound up with uh, T&P tech- uh, coming through Shreveport and then hooking up with Southern Pacific to go all the way to the Pacific Ocean, and you wound up with the Houston Shreveport Railroad uh, going north. Uh, through Shreveport, hooking in into uh, uh, southwestern St. Louis, and it went through Memphis and then went on up to St. Louis and Kansas City. And then you had, of course, the Vicksburg, Shreveport, and Pacific Railroad, the first one really that, that came through here east west, built bridge, uh, which is still here, and came in. And we were a great transportation. Location. I'm not saying we were the distribution center of all time, but we were a definitely a good location. And Bush saw that, and he could hit all of the Texas markets, and he could all of his Midwest markets as far as delivery, and then also be able to go east
0: and go, go going both east and west and east north and, west and south. North
1: and south. Wow. Went through Shreveport,
0: and so that 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 continued the heyday of our railroads back
1: in the in the, in the 1900s, right? It the continued for many central. years, right? Mm-hmm. They did and we uh we wound up being able to use that because, of course, uh, riverboat traffic was waning at that time. And Shreveport was a riverboat town originally, but that was waning. And so, therefore, the railroad stepped in, and uh, we used those for transportation of a lot of goods. Of course, agriculture was the biggest thing here.
0: Well, let just talk quickly about riverboats. Um, I've had a lot of um, visitors that come in the area, and I take them down Line Avenue and show them Betty Virginia Park. And I told them many, many years ago, the steamboats used to dock right up in that particular particular, and they say, the river is way far away, Gary. How did it end up coming up up that far away, up, up that street? I said, well, go ahead, tell them. Okay,
1: well, basically, uh, you would hook in at that really big uh, ditch over by First Baptist <laughs> Church, and that was by Bayou Pier, and uh, you could actually uh, come up there, and you could dock in part of what we know as Betty Virginia Park, which uh, used to have quite a uh, propensity for flooding. And so you could dock there. And uh, during the season that they needed to get the cotton out, uh, those two came together. It was the docking season and the cotton season uh, would get together. And you could go back down by Pierre and uh, go all the way down to the Red River and then get out that way. And really, uh, whenever you look at Shreveport's drainage system, a lot of cases of where we have major drainage it's built on old canals for a lack of a better term or at least bayou uh, type of flooding and that would uh, vary based on what season of the year was.
0: So, and, and again, steamboats, I'm not an expert on them, but they don't require a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of draft. A That's lot right. of draft, so they, they don't have to have a lot of water below them, right?
1: That's right, and that was the great thing. Uh, you didn't. It didn't have to be a twenty-foot uh, channel uh, to be able to get the steamboat up the channel, and uh, of course the steamboats ran all the way up, uh, you know, Jefferson, Texas, and uh, other places uh, even further north than that. But uh, from Shreveport, they went up to Jefferson, Texas, to uh, the Soto Lake Channel, and so uh, what you would wind up with uh, is you would you had a great system for transporting goods through Shreveport. We were basically the frontier town. Uh, for Texas, uh, Dr. Joyner will tell you that uh, we were at one point the westernmost town on the uh, United States frontier. More western than uh, St. Louis. And so, therefore, we were kind of the jumping-off place for the people coming out of the Piedmont and moving on all the way uh, to Texas whenever it was, uh, was pre-Civil War. And so that's what you wound up with.
0: And, and the other the other factor about, uh, about the, the steamboats and the, the rail, it, it brought in entertainment to downtown, the many saloons, as you were saying, and all the entertainment and the hotels and so forth, right?
1: Right, and the original... Um, Vice district—that's a nice, polite way. That's what the Streetport Council called it. The vice district, uh, uh, though it wasn't a district at that time, uh, basically, if you—if uh, you ever read Annie McCune's uh, Streetport Madam by uh, Goodloe Stuck, you'll find out that on the riverfront of Streetport, that's where Annie McCune uh, had one of her operations, uh, and uh, her first operation was up uh, near Common at Milam. but uh, she had her main operation there, and there were other places that. Uh, you had entertainment on the Red River, and so, and that was obvious because that's where people were disembarking, and that's where all of the of the people that worked, uh, uh, basically the stevedores that worked with uh, the steam engines that were arriving there. And it really Shreveport was a rough and tumble town. It was not. Polite and genteel in your image of a southern plantation town. It was rough days. and. It I never was, heard that term used. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty rough and tumble in its days, and, uh, and it was quite dusty. That's the other thing because all the uh, cattle drives that came to get loaded onto the steamboats came right down Texas Street. Right down Texas Street with it, them, the dirt street, right? Huh? dirt street. So <laughs> you can imagine it was a little bit smelly when they came by.
0: Wow. <laughs> We'll be right back with more information. But now, a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Kiel, proudly presented by A Bears and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealers. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Kiel. Now, back to the Best of Times with your host,
1: Gary Coligas.
0: Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio. Where we're proudly presented by Bears Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a special guest. It's Ernie Robertson, a noted historian and Cattle Parish Registrar of Voters, giving us some memories of the past in the mid-1990s in the Shreveport and surrounding area. So... Shreveport, at one point in time, was what you call the epicenter of culture, ch- cultural change, right?
1: I believe that, and I'll tell you how it started and where it started. and uh, I think it began with uh, Elvis' appearance on the Louisiana Hayride. I know that's uh, been said a lot of times, but I don't think we've extended it far enough because, uh, of course, uh, Elvis' uh, first song, That's Alright Mama, that he sang there, uh, was actually uh, first recorded in 1946. And so the beginning of Rock and Roll, a lot of times, is traced back to that song by Arthur Crudup. And, uh, And he covered it, as they say. And then he came back in 1955 because he got a year's contract. And he winds up on the TV version of the Louisiana Hayride through KSLA television in 1955. And it isn't until 1956 that he actually winds up on national television with... Steve Allen first, who was quite a musician, a musician in his own right, and then uh, Ed Sullivan didn't really want him on. He said he wasn't his cup of tea, but he (laughs) winds up on the program and, uh, of course, uh, I guess you can kind of say the rest is history from there, but the key is Everybody surrounding, as far as the musicians go, with uh, that appearance and further appearances. People like, of course, James Murray, who winds up being his uh, guitarist for many years. But another fellow that I knew absolutely nothing about until 1964 at the Louisiana State Fair when he appeared here with Johnny Rivers. And that was a guy by the name of, and he's retired now, uh, living in Keithville, Joe Osborne. And Joe Osborne, as it winds up, is part of a uh, studio musician group. He winds up playing on over 200 hits. Songs like, and this is where we're going to get into extensions, but songs like not only Johnny Rivers' songs that Mm -hmm. came along about 64 when the British Invasion was coming along. Of course, the Brits were using a lot of songs that were early rhythm and blues that they had heard and then adapted to other formats, their version of it. But uh, he winds up with uh, Johnny Rivers at the Whiskey Go-Go, and so he winds up in Shreveport, but he also winds up with Lou Adler who is probably the greatest producer of the 1960s of records. And Lou Adler is working with a young man by the name of John Sebastian, who winds up with the Mamas and Poblars, of course, and he writes... If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear some flowers in your hair. That becomes basically the unofficial anthem of the counterculture of the 1960s. Oh. And the guy playing the bass on that is Joe Osborne. Wow. He also winds up playing the bass uh, on uh, two or three other great songs, including uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, uh, as well as uh, the Fifth Dimensions uh, uh, hit uh, that they came out with, uh, Let the Sunshine In." I, and I did not know out. that. And wow. all of that came from Freeport. And of course, at the same time, uh, we in the early, in the mid 50s, had had a radio fellow here who did quite well later in life we knew him as bob smith but he wound up becoming wolfman jack and wolfman jack was actually I uh, believe, stationed at Boxdale air force base and i put all that together to say you wouldn't have had the 1960s with psychedelia <laughs> and johnny rivers and of course stan lewis saving a lot of the rhythm and blues uh, music catalogs if it hadn't been far beginning with Elvis Presley and the Louisiana Hayride. And I don't think we've ever really realized that we're in the cultural... We were the epicenter of the cultural change that came with all the baby boomers and made the difference between the music listened to by the World War II soldiers and the music listened to by the Vietnam soldiers. And so I think that's one reason why, in looking at the differences between uh, the generations and the baby boomers and their parents, and it goes back to, uh, Gary, I'll share this with you, it goes back to, to one song, I believe, that best sums up what most parents thought about those of us who were baby boomers, and it came Uh-oh. out of yakity Yak. Don't, don't talk back.
0: back. Exactly <laughs> right, yakity Yak. Don't talk back.
1: Very good, very
0: good. You know, you brought up uh, the Whiskey o gogo which had live entertainment. Live mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I was real young back then, but I remember going there there in the in the late '68, and it was still hopping. You know, it 68. was still going.
1: It was still there just a few years ago. I don't know if it's still there. I was uh, in L.A. And, uh, and drove by, I guess that, I shouldn't say a few years ago, probably more like 10. But uh, it was still there. And uh, one other point on that, I asked Joe Monzoor, uh, yeah. who was head of the fair, mm-hmm. how he wound up with Johnny Rivers. This was the show, Free Grand Strand Show. Johnny Rivers, The Ventures, and Chad and Jeremy. By the way, Chad and Jeremy appear on American Bandstand one month later, in Whoa. 1964. And we, had the,
0: we had the coup, cool and
1: we. We had them here. And we had them here one month before uh, playing a summer song, which Dick Clark said was the prettiest song he'd heard in years. And, uh, the key was, I asked uh, Mr. Monzor, I said, how did you wind up with him? He said, they've been drawing well everywhere else. And he said, I just wanted kids to come to the fair. And that was his response to it. And it, and it did draw. It did draw. It did very well. Uh, the drummer for uh, uh, Johnny Rivers is uh, Mickey Jones, who winds up being a drummer for uh, a young kid by the name of Bob Dylan. And he was here. And then uh, also uh, Trini Lopez. And then... Uh, of course, uh, Joe Osborne goes on one of the greatest careers ever. He's of course now in the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame. Great, uh, uh, basically part of the Wrecking Crew studio musicians used by Lou Adler, and then went to Nashville on uh, hundreds of hits uh, that we hear uh, out of the country music folks. Okay, here's
0: a political question though. Okay, somebody asked me why did Shreveport lose out to Nashville to be the country western, I mean country music capital of the world. How how did that happen?
1: I think, you know, there's no one silver bullet on that one. Uh, I think it's a couple of different things. I think we... because facts.
0: it, it began right, we, yeah, we it had it, we had more more singers, more of the Louisiana Hayride. Well,
1: we, had a, we had a different view, uh, really. The Louisiana Hayride was tuned toward up-and-comers, in other words, uh, new, fresh faces. Whereas your other radio shows at that time, like the Grand Ole Opry, were uh, going after established stars. Because of that one significant difference, uh, a lot of times uh, we started where we didn't really have a big star, so they started bringing in more big stars to pad the show, if you be a good way to say it. But I noticed in reading back and researching what happened after Elvis was here, actually um, the audience for the Louisiana Hayride started to wane after his appearance. And one reason I think was exactly what Frank Page said about Elvis, he really wasn't their style of singer because Mm. they were more uh, country western or you know i guess hillbilly at that time and so therefore he wasn't but I, i think the real key was that the baby boomers were getting older and they were more into rock and roll and traditional country Listeners were older at that time, and they were more into listening to the Grand Ole Opry. And I I think that's part of it. Uh, Some people say it's because we didn't have... uh, uh, record uh, or uh, publishing houses. That's part of the story. Another part is... We didn't
0: uh, have any record producers here? We didn't
1: really have uh, publishing houses. We had Stan, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who was... uh, uh,
0: What do you mean by publishing?
1: uh, People that actually are involved in uh, uh, listening to the talent and getting the talent signed and then promoting what they're writing and oh. trying to get artists to record it. And uh, we didn't really have that part of the puzzle. We had some but not anywhere near what they had in Nashville. Okay, great, great answer. So there's a lot of different facets to it.
0: So let's, let's move on to the... Uh 40s
1: and 60s. Ah, the great period. <laughs> the great period. The great period in Street force history. So why do why you people? say that? Well, because whenever you start talking about Street force history to baby boomers, who's uh, basically those are the folks uh, most interested, uh, you're always going to hear two or three things. Everybody has memories of the State Fair. Right. And those memories vary, but everybody has memories of them. Everybody has memories of great places they went to eat. Uh, and so there are a lot of restaurant memories as well as uh, football because Freeport was basically a two high school town uh, because it was segregated and so therefore uh... Uh, African-Americans uh, uh, basically to find a really good team to play against, they usually had to go somewhere else to play rather than there weren't two African-American high schools here. So uh, you wind up with Burden Fair Park uh, playing on Thanksgiving Day. Correct. Drawing uh, well in excess of sometimes of 15,000 people to the State Fair on Thanksgiving Day. Packed. Uh, you
0: couldn't get day. seats in there. I remember back in you when know, I it was hit. It
1: was really, uh, it was difficult and uh, not only that, but uh, you know, we didn't, during when that really got going, TV was not a big factor, and uh, college football and high school, I mean, uh, professional football was not the factor that it is now on Thanksgiving Day, and so, therefore, uh, kind of the trend of the culture had not changed yet. And so you had a lot of live events that did well at the state fair. Uh, I noticed in their reports, looking back 58, 59, and 60, they had some great years through there where the overall take was up 8%, I think, in 58 and 59. It was another 12% over the, the previous year. Well, the reason was that the baby boomers, were becoming older so they were able to get more money out of their parents who were making more money than their previous so the grandparents had made it there at that time and so therefore they were able to go out there and spend more money and have a, a good time and therefore you had bigger crowds for whether it was the stock car races going on, on the weekends or whether it was the northwestern tech Right. football game going, because that thing was a draw and a half in its heyday. Of course, all the way through uh, Terry Bradshaw's uh, great pass to, what, Tommy Spinks, I believe. Right. And so, uh, I said that because you're a tech man, so uh-huh. I remember. And then uh, also, uh, whenever you look at what is actually Uh, The the rides that were out there at that time, while they weren't maybe the trendiest rides, they were good stable rides from the standpoint of appeal to the people who were there, and they were willing to get on them and ride them. And so the ridership was up at that time. But we start seeing a change after then because things just start changing. Entertainment starts diffusing because you've got television and people are staying home more or they're going out to do something else but uh, the memories of the state fair and the memories of trolleys. Trolleys.
0: Let's, let's talk
1: about that. Oh Trollies. boy, trolleys always draw an interest. Wherever uh, I go to speak, I'll hear uh, people ask me questions about trolleys. And what I always ask them to see if they're they're really on their game is tell me the actual uh, trolley route that you most frequently rode. Uri
0: Drive until <laughs> downtown. I remember the Uri Drive, and and <laughs> I can't remember how much it was with my aunt. My aunt would take me from from Uri Drive in Albany. That's where where she lived and we would get on the trolley and go downtown
1: and we rode uh we went downtown on usually on saturdays and uh my brother and i he was older than i was and he would take me downtown and we'd go to uh you know the strand or the joy or wherever we could to don wherever we were going to and uh we rode the fairgrounds trolley got on it at portland and uh uh, Greenwood Road, and uh, the one thing you, I always remember about the trolleys was with the sounds they made—the jingling and the jangling. Okay, air. yeah. And every time they hit a bump, you were going to hear the change rattle, and you were going to hear all the metal
0: bars kind of rattle around. And the little coin bill that the mm-hmm. trolley master had on there—that that had the little tickly click—and he would right, he would give you the change, right? Right. And I have never seen one for years until. This last state fair, the clown, I can't remember her name, from California that appeared on the stage with me at the senior day, came on and was, was helping me give away door prizes, and she had one of those, and she You're said, coming. yes, she has kept it, like, for 50 years, and she has it on her, and it had coins in it, and it was like bringing back memories, and uh, she was a wonderful lady. By the way, she's retired now. She retired after, I don't know, I many years being a clown in both California and going, going on different state fairs throughout the United States, but... Uh, she was a hoot. And, uh, and, uh, but she had that particular item. I said, I remember that. I've never seen one of those in years and years. So uh, what other great memories? Oh, the trolleys. What Didn't we have significance of trolleys in the Shreveport area? We had one of the first
1: electric? Well, we we one had the f- first street cars in Louisiana uh, car? before a commercial version of the streetcars uh, before New Orleans. New Orleans had... Uh, uh, tried streetcars during the uh, cotton exhibition mm-hmm. like a couple of years before we got them as a real live form of transportation uh, in streetboard as far as the electric trolleys go and uh, uh, we had had a mule drawn streetcar that went up and down texas to common and then we had another mule drawn route out on the fairfield. one mule it was, uh, there were a couple of mules. Okay, I was going to say, that car. would be
0: a poor guy having to pull a lot of
1: people. Yeah, it was, it was a small little uh, streetcar, but he would go up and down uh, Fairfield. And uh, the mule barn, by the way, was located where Randall T. Moore House is. That's why the roses grow so well.
0: But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ernie, for that observation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, also... Uh, but the other thing that uh, people always uh, seem to bring up is when we get to the state fair and going out there uh, was the fact that uh, a lot of the guys remember the Wall of Death. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was the uh, motorcycle ride, or if you're from my era, you say motorcycle ride. And uh, it was Indian motorcycles. And uh, part of uh, one of the frames of one of those Indian motorcycles is still in Shreveport. A friend of mine actually has it when the uh, ride was basically uh, retired years ago. He tried to buy it, but, of course, it, it took a couple of uh Tractor trailers to get it back here, so he couldn't do that. But he did get the frame of one of the Indian motorcycles used in that ride. Is that the ride that's in a big ball may go around? No. That's it. That's okay. the one. Yeah, he rode it to the top, uh, the to start at the bottom, and it went round and round, and uh, uh, you'd come all the way up to the top. And since I only live three blocks from the fair, at night I would sit there with my window that was open because we didn't have air conditioning those days, and I could hear that barker call, and it's the wall of death. That's Step right up to the wall of death. And I could hear the Motorcycles going round and round. We'll be right back with more information.
0: But now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio so possible. You're listening to the best of times radio hour here on News Radio 710 Kiel, proudly presented by Abears Sanding Country Ocean Report, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep Dealer. Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Kiel. Now, back to the Best of Times with your host, Jerry Kaligas. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by A-Bears, telling country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is Ernie Robertson, who is the noted historian, and, and the, of course, the Caddo Parish Registrar of Voters. We'll talk about that topic in, in, in the near future. Not that sounds right now. good. Right. Okay. Does that sound good? That sounds great. There's probably about 400 questions about that we could ask you, <laughs> but we won't ask you about that i'm sure the voter registration has changed a lot the past several hundreds of years it really has and hopefully everybody's been up to date on our voter registration panel you and your staff continuously remind us about making sure we update our address got to do that Uh, so we know where to go vote so we we talked about we talked about all the trolleys and and um, i thought you know it's fascinating you were saying How many restaurants were there in downtown Shreveport back in the 40s and 50s and 60s? It's it's amazing.
1: Well, I brought uh, I copied this out of a 55 city directory and uh, it's a full page you know how small the city director is right Right. and then about three-fourths of the next page just one line listings of all the restaurants all over town but so many of them were downtown uh, that in all honesty you know I didn't get down there that often uh, to know where they all were but uh, places like Avalon's and the Belmont uh, as well as D-Hands was a good restaurant of course the Columbia uh, downtown was another one that everybody seems to remember. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Morrison's had two different uh, restaurants down there. They had... uh, I remember
0: one, but I don't remember the other
1: one. Yeah, one one of them was called uh, Morrison's Cafeteria, and the other one was called Morrison's Buffet. The cafeteria was on Texas, and the buffet that I'm more familiar with was across from the courthouse over on Malham. And that's where uh, uh, we'd go downtown... um, once with my aunt Effie from uh, Bozier during the summer, and we would go to Morrison's uh, cafeteria, and people went downtown to shop because we didn't have suburban sure. uh, locations for shopping much at that day, and so yeah, street
0: city shopping center was not Im- was not implemented until several years later, many That's years right. later. Yeah, be, uh, so the M- Selbers, 16th. the the, the Ruben signs,
1: Rubenstein's, yeah. and Rubenstein's, uh, and Selbers, and uh, M- Herms, and M. Levy, was, M. Levy was there there. Uh, Rosenblatt's uh, was downtown. Uh, There were a lot of places, smaller places, that you're just not familiar with that had small little shops and kind of specialized shoe shops as well as clothing shops. And, uh, of course, uh, Feeblemans that was the Sears uh, store downtown is now being renovated uh, for uh, uh, actually for, I guess, a condominium type use. And so all of that meant people were coming downtown, riding most of the time on trolleys because, Gary, at that time, both mom and dad weren't working. So a lot of times mom didn't have a car. And so, therefore, the family was riding down there on the trolley uh, for whatever reason for shopping, and the big chain was downtown as well as a Piggly Wiggly which is another Mm oddball store that was downtown in the 200 block of Texas. And uh, and sometimes people had their picture taken. And every time I go talk somewhere, people say, I got this picture. Yeah. And we were walking by, our grandma or mom or whomever is walking by what looks to be uh, the library now, the old federal building right there at Texas and Marshall. And they get their picture snapped. How would that work? And actually, it was through Silver's uh, 5 and down. And they had a uh, basically a World War II relic type. I guess uh, kind of like a camera that was used in a plane for surveillance. And so they would click your picture, and then the picture, uh, you'd be given a, a basically a little receipt, and then your picture would be ready. Uh, I think the next day you could go by whenever you wanted to, and you had a number, and you'd pull your picture out. And if you wanted to buy it, I think you paid a quarter for it. And that's how you got all of these pictures of folks walking down the street. And you will see... Uh, I kind of collect them wherever I can find them. I pick them up if I know it's straightforward, just to just to ha- uh, just to have them. In fact, I'm going to be giving a speech in a couple of weeks, and it's on my PowerPoint because it's my mom and my middle brother, and this has got to be about 48. And uh, a fellow brought me the actual ticket that you got this one had never, the receipt had never been taken off it's a full ticket and he brought me one and uh so that's how i found out about it also through ben phelps who uh, the phelps shoe store was there mm-hmm.
0: yeah and we were we also that shoe shoe stores were just remarkable back then oh. and we and i and i recall some stories about the shoe industry being down there that that they invented some unique shoes um uh, was it phelps or one of them I, i'm having a senior moment here but there's a lot of history about that and I didn't know this until in certain times cowboy boots were never designed to be a left and a right boot did you know that I had heard that and I, I, up until just uh, up until after the Civil War right. then they were designed for a left and right foot
1: right and the uh, the other thing that had that I always found fascinating I think it was probably a really bad idea was a fluoroscope machine which I don't know if you remember this you'd walk in and uh, Mr. Finger was one of the salesmen we always went to him, wow. and you'd put your feet up under here, uh-huh. and you got to see the bones in your feet, and based on his expert knowledge and scientific examination of your feet then uh, and measurements that, you know, whether you were oh, A, cool. B, C, or D, then uh, you would get your shoes, and Ben Phelps, who was one mm-hmm. of the heirs of that and worked there, uh, gave me a long story that goes with the fluoroscope machine and why it was so important. He Of course, they had to quit using it. I, I think it <laughs> got people to glow in the dark, but uh, anyway, he, he gave me quite a story, uh, he was one of my handicap voters, I used to go see him, and I uh, learned a lot about downtown from him.
0: What, what great memories. Hopefully all these people are documenting these stories, and you're, you're writing them down, hopefully. And also we went downtown for movies. I, I remember oh, when I was young to go down to uh, go down to the, the various movie theaters. Right? There were a lot
1: of them downtown, too. Of course, uh, the Joy on Texas was one. And uh, uh, the Sanger, which is where the Capri is now on Milam, uh, started out as part of the, the Sanger, uh, uh, what actually became quite a collection of theaters and was sold uh, to Paris as well as the Strand, which was uh, right. uh, refurbished in the 80s. And then we also had the Don downtown. And uh, one other one that's not downtown, but uh, people always ask me about it, it's the one on Lakeshore, so everybody do know what the name of It was the Venus. Venus. The Venus. And, of course, we also had the Rex and we had the Davis. And Was the, the Venus a,
0: a, a drive-in? Which one was the drive-in out by the lake, um, by lake Shore?
1: Well, uh, out the Venus was actually a sit-down thing. And it was near uh, Lakeshore at Portland across from Crawford Priest Music Box, for those who are music folks. And Crawford Priest was a musician here for years. Uh, The one that was out uh, uh, on Greenwood Road uh, wound up being the Leo. And uh, it was out on Greenwood Road. That was a drive-in. And uh, I
0: remember the Sunset Drive-In way out on uh, West, West 70th at Hearn right. was the Sunset. That was there for many, many, many years. Many,
1: many years, and we also had one over in Broadmoor. Yes, we did. I the went King's, there many times. The King. It was, was
0: near, there? right across the street from my father's Seven Seas Restaurant located. Is that
1: right? It, right, right across
0: the street. So I used to go there many times when I was yeah. a little munchkin. And,
1: and, and it, it wasn't there all that long, by the way. That's one of the things that uh, trying to track that one down, uh, it, it didn't have a long run, as you might say, but uh, uh, it was a popular place to go. And then it and got, also had. It got
0: converted into a trampoline center. Right. And we Saturday. had
1: trampolines, and we uh, that's when bowling came along. And at one time, uh, we had bowling centers throughout Streetport. We had Blair West, Blair East. Blair West was up under uh, Westwood Shopping Center. Uh, we also had the downtown bowling center, Southgate. Uh, All Star opens a few years later free State was here and holiday over in Bozier. so but you know it's kind of like as things change as far as recreation goes and crazes like the trampolines nobody has trampolines anymore and we also had go kart tracks yes way back when and uh, so whenever you look at what we had for recreation uh, you got to ask yourself what about pinball machines true because pinball machines were common in every eating drive-in. Let's put it that way. That'd be a nice to Distinguish it from a drive-in for a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, eating drive-in. You always had a pinball machine. The one I'm always asked about is the burger Kalib- Remember the caliburger? No, I don't. All right. Well, the caliburger was actually uh, at the corner of Spaco's Feedlot, uh, right across from where uh, Pedro's is going to move to, uh, at the corner of Mansfield and Kings Highway. Mansfield, and Danny uh, okay. uh, Burris, I think, is the one who actually started the caliburger And it was C-A-L-I dash burger. And he had a sauce on his hamburgers. And people always ask, what's the sauce? That was Dan Burris? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. That was I knew that family yeah. quite well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he opened that restaurant, and it was a sauce he had uh, been inspired or picked up a recipe or something out of California. So that's where the name Cali came from for the Cali Burger. And uh, people always ask about it. It was there for several years, probably until about mm, maybe 63, 64. And, and then they did want to white. I knew that family quite well. Yeah, and they've, uh, uh, I will also mention uh, a couple other places that are always asked, the why not? One of the great names. Why not? <laughs> the Why Not Drive-In, which was actually uh, on uh, St. Vincent's, uh, not too far from Hollywood. And uh, then, uh, of course, the Chat out on Curtis Lane at uh, Greenwood Road, out in that area. And there were a lot of places people always ask, do you remember this one? Do you remember that one? One other one I'll mention right quick uh, was Triple X. Mm-hmm. But down the street, back toward... Mansfield Road. There, Triple X actually started as a root beer stand because it was Triple X root beer. And uh, there was another one in the 30s down the street on the corner at Mansfield Road, and that was Weber's. Weber's. Weber's Drive In Root Beer. Weber's was a national root beer.
0: Thank you, Ernie, for joining us today. This was Enjoying fascinating me, going back memory lane. That hopefully, it touched a lot of our listeners out there who remember the past, and hopefully, some of our new listeners who might get appreciative of the history of this report and Beaujer and surrounding area. Thank you again for joining Thank you. us today. Enjoy it. We'll be right back with more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel. Probably presented by A Bear's Senate Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Kiel. I'm Gary Kaligas, wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. You've been listening to the best of times on 710 Kiel. Join us again next Saturday at 9 for the best of times. This is News Radio 710 KEEL, Shreveport Mosier.